Hello, Gregoire. Hi. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you. How are things with you? I'm okay. Thank you. Happy holidays. I think that's what people say. <laughs> you too. In this season. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Happy You're holidays to all our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it feels strange to say happy holidays so far from the holidays. Well, it feels strange to say happy holidays when it's pretty much the end of summer outside. <laughs> it's very it's warm today. Yeah, that's that's um, that's the beauty of climate change. Climate change. So, so coming back to the podcast, what are we talking news. about today? <laughs> Today, we are going to question our place. Meaning the place of the analyst. I was going to make a joke, but you... Oh, <laughs> I, I, I ruined the yeah, joke. I spoiled the moment. Oh, so, so yes, sorry. the place of the analyst. <laughs> so, nobody's going to question your office. <laughs> yeah, we're going to question our place as a psychoanalyst. Through that, we're going to ask a few leading questions that are going to be, so what do we do as psychoanalysts? Then, um, where do we position ourselves? Are we splitting? Where do patients come from? How to know when we are in the wrong? And finally, we are going to engage a little bit on the specific difficulty of dealing with issues that have not been dealt with by the society the analysis is taking place in. As always, we would love to hear from you, your questions and comments. Please reach out to us through our email. Discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me So easy. Or you can find our page on Facebook or Twitter or SoundCloud. So, let's go ahead. My name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Francisco Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. So there's something about psychoanalysis is that we are our own tool. And by that you mean? I mean that we are the one who use ourselves to do our work. Correct. That yeah. we are the one who have to understand our own reactions that we have to decide 
how much we do one thing, how mm-hmm. how we react to a patient. I mean, there are some ethic rules, there are some techniques. Of course. But at the end of the day, we are alone with the patient. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we need to adjust how we react. And we need to be the one who feel what we feel and decide what we do with it. Correct. And what ways what we feel, what we experience might propel the treatment forward or it's our, you know, when do we express or not and how we use it. And this leads to a certain difficulty that we face regularly. What do we do when we have a sense that a patient is experiencing something and the patient is saying no? Mm-hmm. For example, the easy thing you suggest in one way or another that the patient may actually feel anger. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's the very common thing. That's so common. <laughs> <laughs> and the patient is going to tell you sometime, ah, yeah, it's true. And then you will feel like, okay, nothing to see here. I'm the best. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, what, what other proof do I need? <laughs> yeah, well... That's not that simple, I guess, as we all know. Oh, God, you are what if, the what if the patient the has been compliant? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, but in other situations, you might say like, oh, maybe you're feeling anger and your patient will say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as frequent as this situation can be, I think it raises a lot of questions or at least fundamental questions regarding what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I do wonder, because we practice, I think, under the conception that the analyst knows better. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is this... I, 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 for a split second, I was like, is this a joke? No, <laughs> it's not a joke. Uh, I don't think I know better, or do you? I said that we work under the assumption. The assumption. Okay, it's not my assumption. My assumption is a little bit different. Uh, different than, than that? Yeah. But my point is not that I believe that. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have the offer the theme for the podcast. I okay. would be like, of course we are. So <laughs> why else would we question it? Questioning this. <laughs> you barbaric people. Anyway, No. Perhaps there is an underlying assumption in the field. In the field of psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. in the theory of psychoanalysis, okay. and in some of the principles in the way we practice, there is mm-hmm. this assumption that we know better. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, we could articulate why. We could say, well, if you're a psychoanalyst, supposedly you underwent... Underwent? Uh, you say you undergo, and so did you... Uh, yeah, so you yeah. underwent. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to be fluent, right? To be what? Fluent in English. I am. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Except with those words. <laughs> Just those those two words. Uh, those, like words <laughs> those words are very complicated for me. <laughs> so, you're supposed to have undergone a psychoanalysis. Undergone. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. a word. Yeah, yeah, undergone. I know. I know. <laughs> my, my mastery of the English grammar <laughs> is just incredible. <laughs> Yeah, you were you you have been well analyzed. Oh, I mean, whatever okay. that means. That that's another assumption. Yeah. Okay. That you have been well analyzed, mm-hmm. which and people are gonna love me so much for saying this. When you go to a psychoanalytic conference, then <laughs> it, it casts some doubts on the on the 
the well. <laughs> the well, well part analyze. of the well analyze. <laughs> but what does well analyze mean? I don't know. Maybe everybody was much more fucked up before, and actually, what we see is actually a success. It's, it's not it's, impossible. It's success. Yeah. 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 We're but not killing each other. We're yeah. just yes. being rude. <laughs> <laughs> what else would you want? <laughs> so, in any case, you are supposed to. Yeah, it's not often stated directly like that. No. But I feel like most of psychoanalysis theory takes that as a given. You've been in analysis, you've studied psychoanalysis, you might still be under supervision, mm -hmm. you've read so much, you're above something. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is some truth to it. We usually have more experience of psychoanalysis than our patients. Absolutely. So we have a certain knowledge. But then, then to really keep it very simple, when you suggest to a patient that they might feel anger or there's an unconscious anger and the patient says no, then comes a question. To me is where does the psychoanalyst as a person come in? Mm -hmm. Meaning that we do interpret, we do perceive things from our own place. Yes. You remember Dora? Yes, of course. And I, I mean, I read it when I was a young man, now that I'm uh, an elder. <laughs> <laughs> it's required text in kindergarten in France? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is actually. <laughs> it is. You didn't know? <laughs> um, so uh, I remember reading it when I was like, I don't know, 20. 25 how old was i yeah I, i was around between 22 and 25 when i was at college you're studying psychoanalysis and i i remember thinking yeah it, it's not going well between dora and freud Freud. but <laughs> i read it i think for now i mean it was before covid so it was probably uh, three four years ago in class with brian kloppenberg and I thought, well, Freud really cannot decipher how a teenage girl is expressing herself. No. And all his interpretations were completely out of it. Yeah. And I feel like the distinction between an adult perspective and teenager perspective, I think we find something alike with different cultures. Mm -hmm. So when the patient says, no, I'm not angry, Sometimes I wonder, is it me who perceive anger a certain way and what the patient is expressing or what I'm sensitive to? Is it really anger? A couple of things. To go back to what you were saying about Freud, it reminds me of what Karen Horney said about Freud when she wrote a paper that somehow looks at the Oedipal conflict from a female perspective. And she begins the paper saying something like, Freud was a male genius. So for her, it was important to say genius, of course, but to say that a male. And then she goes on talking about how this is a male-centric society. So Freud was not outside, and he could not understand the psychology of a teenage girl. So his assumptions were getting in the middle. So that's one thing. And therefore, our assumptions and biases are always in the field between the patient and us. Now, to your question, am I detecting that my patient is angry or am I looking for anger? 
I think depending on how you were trained, sometimes you are trained to look for very specific derivatives of the drives, either the erotic transference or the aggression. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we want to find those derivatives. It reminds me of a student in class who told me, I'm waiting for my patient to be angry at me. Really? And I said with a lot of humility, and I think we all need to be humble about this, is that sometimes we are looking for that to happen. Because it's the butter and bread of our work. When those derivatives come to the surface, aggression towards us or the erotic transfer and so on and so forth. So sometimes I sense something in my patient and I would say that sometimes I am perhaps looking for something. And when I say I, I let me put the we here. We look for something at the same time. You put the we, and I'm wondering, I don't think I'm doing that. Okay, well, it's me and other animals no, no, and I, not you. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> You're being aggressive now. <laughs> yeah. But you not. see, that's a pushback. <laughs> Are you angry at me? Yeah, I'm sorry. So using yeah. the we. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering, if, am I lying to myself? I mean, I'm trying to think on my side, it's more like I've been for way too long too nice to my patients. Not looking for aggression, but actually mm -hmm. trying to find a way where we could connect without it. Mm. That's a different approach that creates problems One too. could say, are you trying to avoid the discomfort of the aggression? Yeah. Okay. One well, could then. say that. I'm not waiting for my patients to be angry. That's what I meant. When I say that, I think it, I'm referring to those in the psychoanalytic field who are so entrenched in some theories that they are only looking for that and then they don't see other things happening in the room yeah it's either aggression or or it's the erotic transference but then it's always about a conflict that comes through the observation of the derivatives of the drives yeah but the derivative of the drive thoughts is a derivative of the drive. Well, of course. And, and, and the thoughts and the way the patient talks to us and the intonation, the way the, the patient... Wh what is not a derivative of the drive? Well, everything is a derivative. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of confused right now <laughs> thinking about what it actually means. <laughs> well, what I'm referring is that we look only for very specific derivatives. Yeah, okay, that I understand. And therefore, we miss other ways in which the patient is trying to connect to us. Mm-hmm or trying to push away from us, yeah. Hence the need to be trained with different approaches. Which I think it's a, you know, it, we have this opportunity in this field of being supervised or analyzed by people from different theoretical backgrounds. So when you feel like a patient is angry, or might have anger towards someone, mm -hmm. and the patient says no, I think it raises a question of where do we position ourselves? Mm -hmm. Because from the top of my head, we might be right, we might be wrong, or we might be too early. Agree. Yes. Those three positions are, yeah, I, I think of them as potential positions. Yeah. And in your practice, mm -hmm. how do you I lean work with it? towards I'm wrong. Okay. Not in the sense that I made a mistake. That I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in that moment, my intervention was not hitting any part of the internal world of the patient. And instead of being suspicious about the no, 
I would think that, well, perhaps I'm wrong, or perhaps this was inappropriate, this intervention was too early. I would give the patient some deference. I would, you know, allow the patient to go on with a no. Yeah, I think practically speaking, that's mostly what I would do. But I have to say that from my perspective, when I have a hunch that a patient is experiencing something, it's really unsettling when the patient is, the word that comes to my mind or is already implying something, is denying it. Mm-hmm. So is the patient denying it or is the patient actually correcting me? Mm-hmm. I find it difficult to know exactly, I mean, exact, you never know exactly how to do in this field, but the most practical way to react is certainly what you say. Like you step back. I step back, yeah. But in your mind, what do you keep? It's also about our intuition, like the way we perceive our environment. If someone tells you, no, no, you thought that this was blue, it's actually green. It is a bit unsettling. It is unsettling internally, yes. Because as I said at the beginning, you are your own tool. Mm Mm-hmm. In that sense, we go back to an old podcast we recorded on modernity. Psychoanalysis really is inscribed in the question of modernity. There's no external reference to set a straight that we could use to know if we're right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So the question is, I think sometime with some patients, it's actually very useful to emerge ourselves with them in somewhat of a new understanding, a new way to decipher people's reaction. Mm-hmm. But how much of that is true and how much of something of a humanity is there? Because if you always believe the patient, then there's no denial. Yet we do know that, or we have a sense that there is something like that function as denial in the human psyche. I don't think my position is that I am saying that the patient is right. I'm saying that I was wrong, which is different. Okay. Maybe I was wrong because I was misattuned to the patient. So you're not wrong, you're just too soon. I'm too soon. So in that sense, maybe not even the word wrong is appropriate here. It's uh, out of sync. Maybe that's a better phrase. Okay. So what I'm saying is that not the patient is right or wrong, but I'm saying that I am out of sync. And we need to trust the process to see how it will unfold. What you're saying is very relevant. You know, what do I do with I am out of sync? What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. It's Because that's mine. Yeah. I am out of sync. What's going on in this relationship with my patient that somehow I'm, I'm missing cues, especially if it happens often. But some people would tell you that you're not out of sync, but you are unconsciously resonating with the patient. Maybe, maybe. So, it, it, you know, one of my supervisors always said, patience, patience, my friend, patience, which means you have to wait. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Then on the other side of this question is that psychoanalysis, at least the way we've been trained, has a hermeneutics of suspicion. So we always are suspicious. The patient always resists. As Freud said, you know, from the beginning to the end of the treatment, the patient will resist. I don't think Freud said anything about we counter-resisting, but, you know, that's part of the mix as well. 
maybe yeah i don't remember no he, i don't think he said anything about that but we also know that we have been and we are for some of us still patients yes mm -hmm. and we don't split well maybe you are saying that about yourself maybe <laughs> other people split <laughs> maybe they do <laughs> but we can i think safely assume that the patient that we are in our own analysis is somewhat the same or similar person than the person we are when we are analyzing people. Oh my goodness, you are opening the Pandora Pandora's box here. I know, I know. Yeah. It's fine. You know what's at the end of the Pandora box? Hope. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's important. Indeed. So <laughs> it's keep that in mind when we do that. <laughs> oh, Pandora. Well, I think then if we are in analysis, we've been in analysis, we also have a sense of when we push back and we also have a sense when we have been misunderstood. When our analysts have made an intervention that didn't resonate with us and we had to push back. No, that's I don't think you're right about that. So we have that experience as well. Mm -hmm. How do we use that when we are working with our patients? I think I lean towards waiting. Yeah, I think we understood that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> waiting and waiting and waiting. That's, that's I don't not know enough. what else to say. <laughs> that's not enough for the discussion. No, no. I, I I would say another thing. Okay. We get to understand through the relationship with a patient. So whatever kind of misattunement was there in me saying something, the patient saying no. That says something about the relationship as well. Yes. On the very surface level, says that the patient has the capacity to say, to push back, at least, not being compliant, for example. Okay. That's one possibility. But it says something. So do we shine some light on that? No. You, you lost me. Okay. I offer the patient an intervention that says, it seems that you're angry. Yeah. The patient says no. Yeah. Then you say, you can say, well, that no sounds very emphatic. So I wonder if your no is a yes, but I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't do that <laughs> That either. is a Freudian negation and uh, it seems too mechanistic or mechanical. One or uh, the other. One or the other. Now, but what if that is an opportunity f to explore the relationship? Meaning your no means that you feel empowered to tell your analyst no. That says something about the relationship. And perhaps we could offer something to the patient. But where it leads us is, I think, I feel a place that is much less structured mm -hmm. than what we tend to think or hear about psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. And I think it creates a tension with theory and a tension with how people uh, listen to clinical case. Yeah. How many times do you present or you listen to a clinical case and some people are going to be like, either the presenter or people around be like, but your patient is feeling that. Oh, but your patient is uh, thinking that. Oh, but uh, if you had said that, this would have happened. Mm-hmm. Those kind of comments seem to come from a place that is incompatible with what you just said. Yes, 
because I think the frame or where I'm coming from is that if a patient, the diet between my patient and myself is completely different, therefore another analyst would have said something different. Yeah. And the process would go in a different direction and it would be a completely different analysis. Yeah. Therefore, the analysis in which my patient and I are engaged is unique. And so the people can say, well, at that moment, maybe I could have said this. That is almost a fantasy. You don't know how the patient will react. It's a fantasy, but I'm not sure our colleagues are often aware of that. Well, it's a fantasy connected, I think, to a sense of power. Yes. And therefore, on the other side of the coin, vulnerability. I know better. Yeah. To use the phrase that you use at the beginning. Yeah, and we move from the pa the analyst is supposed to know, mm -hmm. as Lacan offered, to the analyst actually does know. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, that's hubris. As, you know, it's a, it could lead to disaster. Yeah, but it is reassuring. Mm. Because the other option is, as you describe, it's uncertain. Yeah. Yeah. You let go. You don't know. You don't actually care for the results. Mm -hmm. It's just how, what's going to happen is going to happen. And yeah. Things are going to entangle or not. That is very different. I wonder how much this move from the analyst is the one who's supposed to know to the analyst knows some kind of identification on the part of some analysts with what their patient might be projecting onto them, might be. Mm -hmm. But we are the one who's supposed to know from the patient's perspective. If we think we actually are this person, it becomes crazy. Like we are supposed to hold on to the frame that we are supposed to know I think it's valuable in the sense that it helps the patient really work with their fantasies. Yes. And, you know, this idea of the blank screen. Mm -hmm. We know it's not exactly like that. We know that, that patients are, we, we, something of us is necessarily mm -hmm. transpiring. Uh, but still we can experience both as patients and as analysts that the analyst will sometime become in a transference a figure that actually knows that the analyst is understanding us better. Yeah. Which is an aspiration that drives the analysis. Because Correct. of course, I mean that's my understanding. The analyst who's supposed to know better is inside the analyst. Mm -hmm. It's an ideal version that's to come. Correct. And it, it's required. That's why I don't think analysts should come directly and say, of course I don't know anything. No, it's all up to you. I don't think that's efficient. Because as an analyst, as a patient, you need that fantasy. It dissolves the asymmetry of the relationship and therefore makes it impossible for the transference to crystallize. We need the asymmetry but we also need the analyst to know that the asymmetry is a fantasy. A fantasy in what sense? That we don't know. Oh, in that sense? That the patient come. Mm -hmm. Patients, they come to therapy. We have a clinical experience. We have our own analysis mm -hmm. in the back of our head. We have read things. But each patient is new. 
each patient is unique. Yes. Yeah. We don't know. No, we don't. But the patient needs to think, needs to experience that we might actually know. But if we mm -hmm. put ourselves and believe that we know and say, I know better than you all the time, then it doesn't work. But on the other hand, I don't know what to do with the fact that on the other hand, we can't also, I believe, let go of everything we do know and feel. I don't think we can let go of that. It, it will be with us always. I think the challenge is how to, with what we know and experience, start anew with a patient, even in every session, you know. Every new session, what openness do we have to what will unfold during that session without expecting that uh, it will happen in a certain uh, progression? We have to let that go. And sometimes it's a patient who reminds us that we have to let go. Or to quote Nancy McWilliams, sometimes we need to be supervised by the patient. Well, yeah, I mm -hmm. mean, to have maybe this sense of fragility. Yes, that allows us to reshape ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about social in different podcasts. We've mm -hmm. been talking about the idea of race, the idea of class. Yeah. And I find that it is something important to keep in mind when you see a patient is where do they come from socially? Mm -hmm. because different culture, not yeah. just country, but also within a country, of course, etc., will lead to different kind of expressions, different values. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a bit caricatural here. I once worked with a woman who was from Russia, mm -hmm. and I remember that I found it hard for me to actually use my intuition because very quickly I realized that she might actually be sincere when she declined my suggestions. Mm -hmm. That when I say, oh, is this moving you or is this triggering you? Or it's been a while, so I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember feeling eventually, I mean, quite quickly actually, thinking, oh, Maybe she comes from a culture I really don't know. In that case, Russia, indeed. I mean, mm -hmm. she was not American. She was from Russia, I mean. So, mm -hmm. and I felt that it became very important for me to realize that, but also very difficult. And this is somewhat, for me, an extreme example. But you also have that with class, like the different class values, mm -hmm. the what is important in the US you have sat a lot with race when you work with African Americans you will more often than not hear I can't come because my cousin got a problem I need to help them mm -hmm. etc yes. uh, this and that because of historical mm -hmm. reasons a lot of uh, African Americans are either in poverty or their family Mm -hmm. is in poverty and so you have to be sensitive to those things and yet you can't just put them and say okay my patient is inherently different from me I don't understand him so I'm only gonna let him guide me 
I'm not coming here with an answer to that question, but I find it difficult to know where to put the needle. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. how to maintain a sense of humanity. And on the other hand, to hear that there might be actually a lot of things that are expressed in every different culture, very different. I mean, I use the example of the car. I mean, it's, it's not a very good example for that, but I mean, it's an example in terms of what would be called, I think, resistance to treatment. I'm using African-American, I think, with uh, more um, poor people. or It, it happens a lot. Mm. Like, you will have people tell you, no, actually, today I can't come to therapy because I have a job, because I have a gig. I have Correct. So the frame will be more fluid, more flexible, perhaps. Then is it a resistance? It's a resistance, or it is uh, realistic to expect that there will be a fluidity. And where to put the needle, I find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Same with me. I would add that when working with other cultures, what helps me is silence. Initially, being silent. But then the dilemma is how silent I'm going to be so that <laughs> I cannot be completely silent. I need to participate somehow. But it's the initially silence helps me gather. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to the patient, culturally speaking? Mm. It might be completely different to my own cultural setting. So how could we know if we are or when we are in the wrong? I mean, the obvious answer is silence and time. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, when the patients say, no, I'm not angry, I don't feel anger, through time in analysis, you might find that this happens a lot, you might realize that it's a pattern with other mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. and then you can bring it up. Yeah. I mean, that's to somewhat maybe reassure people who are listening to us who haven't started working yet. So it's not it's not hell. Like you can survive it. It's gonna <laughs> something is gonna be working. But I, I wanted to emphasize what happens in the action that I think can be unsettling and sometimes can lead to resistance. I would say in the analyst. And sometimes it doesn't have to be an intervention, meaning, oh, I, I sense that you're angry and the patient says no. It doesn't have to be our intervention. It could also come from a place of the, for example, I began to work with a patient not long ago and everything is fine, the patient says. Mm -hmm. Fine, fine, fine. What is that phrase? What does that phrase mean? So I have decided not to push into asking what does that mean to you? I'm listening a lot to the I'm fine. Okay. And it's beginning to give me a sense that the patient is trying to distance himself from what is uncomfortable. In every interaction that seems to be a difficult interaction, he ends the description with, and everything was fine. Oh, okay. So that begins to show a certain pattern. Mm -hmm. But if I had initially said, you know, you have said fine three times, that would perhaps be too early. Yeah. And so I'm I'm still waiting and hearing the everything is fine. Yeah, somewhat of the answer is to absorb actually the patient's fantasies, fantasy world. Yes. And to allow ourselves to let go of our own prejudices mm -hmm. or preconception. Of course. Yeah. 
And then comes another aspect of that is when we are confronted with issues that the society we live in did not sufficiently explore. Mm -hmm. And the obvious example is racism, especially in the US, but elsewhere too. And I think we are as an confronted to the fact that psychoanalysis tend to want answers. Psychoanalysis theory tend mm -hmm. to look for answers. Mm -hmm. They might be wrong, but we understand this is happening because of that, etc. Correct. And when the society we live in did not resolve sufficiently a social issue, I found that it becomes very triggering for us, at least for me, to be in this tension between the usual position of the analyst who has a sense of hypothesis of why things might be happening, how to position ourselves, etc. Mm -hmm. And we find ourselves with a patient and there is no sufficient answer. For the patient. And for us. And for us. Mm -hmm. And you see, when it's for both of us. Mm -hmm. And where fantasies is the only thing that actually fills the gap. Mm -hmm. Well, moments like that... I tend to be more explicit and I would say something like we don't know and I, the we is we meaning the patient and I we we don't know but then your patient might think they know and then experience that as maybe disowning them or no if the patient them. says I don't know I don't know and I I join the patient in saying I don't know that's a good way to start but can we stay there to help no, the patient grow? No, because usually I would add, the patient says, I don't know why I'm doing this, for example. Mm. And I don't know. I cannot know. I may have a hunch, but I try not to use too many hunches until they are more formed. So I would say, you know, reality is that I don't know. So the two of us, we don't know. So we will have to trust the process and we'll see where it goes. I always look into the horizon of the process. But do you think it applies to social issues too? I think so. Because social issues, realistically, something happened out there. Mm -hmm. But the patient has a lot of feelings about what happened, let's say. And but the patient says, I'm not sure what to, how to name this. I would try to parse, to name with the patient. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's too much. What has happened out there, it's intense. What do we do with the fear of the world is collapsing because of climate change? Uh, is it a fear or is it an exactly. expectation? <laughs> is this neurotic fear or is this a signal anxiety that real <laughs> in realistic terms, the world is going to collapse? Yeah. So what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> so for so all I those who are still listening this is, this is to keep it, to keep the to keep you a bit <laughs> yeah, so so i think in joining the patient in their helplessness might be therapeutic i don't know what's going to happen to this world i'm concerned about my my family i'm concerned about kids and grandkids and you know i'm concerned so i'm joining the patient there but I don't have an answer. It's another part of our work. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not about explanation, right? It's not about explanation. It's about joining someone yeah. in an experience. Being with them. Yeah. Being with them, yeah. This is it for today. Yes, I hope we made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did because I edited the podcast and I know we did. Okay? <laughs> oh, it's so good, the magic of editing. Yes, yeah. it, it is It is kind of magical. Yeah. It is. Yes. It's like to see some magical. <laughs> People don't want to know what we actually say. <laughs> They want to know the end product. Yeah. Which, I, I think, you know, it's like... I mean, in some ways, I find like the, what we record is the manuscript, and mm -hmm. then I clean it up to make it something readable and uh, yeah. that everybody can appreciate without torturing their mind, yeah. wondering what Trying the hell did what they the heck say? Are they saying? Why are they repeating this <laughs> idea so frequently? <laughs> we understood the first time. <laughs> For some reason, I'm remembering Kafka, who asked that all the things that he had not published were uh, destroyed. And his friend decided said, to publish them. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Too bad you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going to publish everything. <laughs> If you're not here, it's your, it's your loss. <laughs> As I was editing the podcast, there's still one thing I want to emphasize that we will certainly go back to uh, next month and the next few months is the importance, I think, of in practice and in theory of the unspoken base that the analyst knows. Mm -hmm. We all know that we don't know in some ways. We all know that we need to do our own analysis because we will transform what the patient says into what we can hear, etc. But still, at the end of the day, in conferences, in articles, clinical presentations particularly yes mm -hmm. it always go back to the assumption that actually indeed eh, we do know mm, yes so that's something i think as a society of psychoanalysts we should be and clinician in general we should be really sensitive to mm -hmm. it's not a sign of weakness to not know it does undermine therapies analysis when we can't leave a space open to the fact that we might not know. Mm -hmm. Or that we're on the wrong. Yeah. yeah. That said, happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll see you in uh, 2023. 23. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.